Hello and welcome to the Renaissance Polymath. I'm your host, Toby Gagnon, and this episode is going to be a little different from my normal ones. The following is a recording of a seminar that I taught not long ago. If you'd prefer to watch this seminar, you can click the link in the show notes and it will take you to the YouTube channel where you can do just that. So sit back, relax, and thank you for listening. Tonight, let's talk about communications. We've talked about three other topics um, coming into this, kind of first steps and things you need to know, maybe some skills you should have, home and vehicle preparedness, and uh, like I told you that story that I had right after teaching that one last time. So tonight we're going to talk about communications. Um, Like I said, it should be pretty quick, but there's a lot of information in here. If you've got questions, ask the questions because there might be some acronyms you don't know, which I'll try to explain. There might be other considerations like when or what if kind of scenario stuff, and we can kind of gameplay that as we go through. But basically, it'll last about an hour. We'll go through uh, some quick introductions which, quite frankly, I think we can skip over tonight. We'll talk about a PACE plan, definition, creation, and evaluation. And then we're going to talk through some considerations to include strengths and weaknesses as well as convenience. If you do have the question, ask the question. So a PACE plan. What the heck is a PACE plan? A PACE plan is defined as a primary alternate contingency and emergency. I was first introduced to PACE, P-A-C-E, through Mike Glover of Fieldcraft Survival. And the way he explained it through what the military use was really intrigued me, not because I'm looking to LARP or pretend to be somebody I'm not, but quite frankly, just because I thought if it was something that was developed for a group of people where communications was extremely important, then it might be something I might want to pay attention to. So the idea for PACE, or really the idea behind it, is you have layers and levels of preparedness to fall back on when things go to crap, basically. And it's got to be defined and established beforehand. You can't just say, oh, well, that didn't work. Well, what's next? Well, okay, what's next for you? You might be just whatever I've got at hand, but as we get into kind of the who's and what's and why's, it's like, well, does the other end of that communication who you're talking to or who should be listening, do they know where to go and where to be, right? So it's got to be established for everybody, not just for you. So it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to try to communicate with my whatever, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to move to plan B. Well, what is that, and what is plan B, and who are you trying to talk to? So there's a lot of things. So an example of a PACE plan. Primary, cell phone. Everybody's got a cell phone thereabouts. So that's usually everybody's primary form of communication. Alternate, maybe a computer. Contingency could be a radio of any kind. Uh, Emergency could be something like a satellite phone or one of those Garmin inReach SOS things. This is just an example. What I would kind of point you toward here is, you notice I don't have primary listed as cell phone call and alternate is cell phone text. And there's reasons for that, which I'll get into uh, a little later on. That's probably most everybody's, except they probably end it alternate. They don't move to contingency or emergency because either they don't have radios or they don't know how to use them, or they don't know that they can use them or that they even still exist. And satellite phones, everybody thinks they're just for overseas use or for 
the cartel or whatever, right? Somebody nefarious. So let's talk about a cell phone. What can you do with a cell phone? Phone calls. I know it kind of goes against every millennial thing out there, but I promise you they're still good for, for phone calls. Voice communication. Uh, text messages. Text messages. A little SMS. Those are fantastic. Now you can do things like um, <clears throat> positional location sharing. Send my location. Right? That's stuff that you can do with your cell phone now. Messengers. So messengers would be something like, is Facebook Messenger still a thing? I don't even know. Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Signal, whatever it is, a messenger of some kind. AIM, Skype, AOL, Instant Messenger, if you, whatever. Uh, social media, right? You could do things like Facebook Live, Instagram Live, or TikTok Live, or anything else that social media allows for, right? You could communicate that way. Email, of course, you can still access all your emails. And I'm sure there's more on here that I'm forgetting or didn't list, but those are examples of how you could use your cell phone for communication. Uh, Computer. Your computer can make phone calls. VOIP, voice over internet protocol or something like that. Basically, you can do voice communication, right? You can do text messages. If you've got Let's say you're in the Apple ecosystem, your MacBook, your tablet, whatever it is, has iMessage. So there's text messaging. You can also, if you've got something like Signal, I believe Briar does it as well, where you can text message in real time back and forth. Other messengers that we talked about before, basically whatever you can do with your phone, you can also do with your computer to an extent. Um, you see, obviously, one of them fell off here, positional location sharing, only because most computers uh, today don't have a GPS chip in them. Tablets, yes, to a degree, but a lot of times they rely on the network to provide its location, and that's not always the most reliable. So I took that one off of here, but if you know where you are, you could always say, hey, I'm here, or send GPS coordinates or whatever that looks like. Radios. There's a lot more to radio than just ham radio. Your cell phone has three radios in it. (coughs) It's got its cellular network, it's got the Wi-Fi, and it's got the Bluetooth. And those are the three radios that are in your cell phone. Uh, So radios, walkie-talkies, simple walkie-talkies. Think about (coughs) how many people in even your neighborhood have a walkie-talkie. Probably almost nobody. And if they do, it's the kids, and the batteries are always dead in those things. I carry walkie-talkies in my backpack. I talked about this during the uh, the EDC conversation that we had. I carry them in my backpack for many reasons, but not the least of which is entertainment for children. If they're bugging you or whatever, they need something to do, oh, we got stranded, uh, whatever, at the park for longer than we thought, give them the walkie-talkies, let them go play, have fun. But they can also work in close communities as well. Prepper groups or just a group of neighbors. GMRS radios. GMRS stands for General Mobile Radio Service. It is a licensed system through the FCC, but there's no test. You just pay $35. You get issued a call sign that nobody ever uses, so you might as well just put the paper somewhere and forget about it. (coughs) And it covers not only you, but your immediate family, your children, your parents, it covers all of them. So 35 bucks could get you. So what does $35 get you with a GMRS license? 
get you more power. So walkie-talkies, depending on what channel you're on, are limited to either a half a watt of power or two watts of power. GMRS, you're allowed up to 50 watts of power, which is a significant increase. So if you want your signal to be heard by more people, you use more power. It's no different than turning the speakers up in your car, stereo up. The <clears throat> louder you go, the more people at the stop like it to hear your awesome music. It's no different. Where amateur radio differs, it's FCC licensed, just like GMRS. It's $35 to get your license, just like GMRS. But there is a test you have to pass. There are three different levels, depending on what you want and how far you want to go. Uh, and the power is restricted, but to 1,500 watts. So you get much, much, much more power. You also, instead of being restricted to, let's say, 22 channels, you get access to frequency space. So it's as granular as you want it to be, which is both good and bad, because if you say, hey, I'm on channel 7, everybody knows what channel that is. But if you say, I'm on 146.505, people are going to go, what the hell is that? Or they might not know how to tune their radios to that. Or you might say, I'm on HF, and then you might be too close to talk. So there's a lot more that goes into amateur radio. But the cool thing about amateur radio, you can text message with it. You can email with it. You can send instant messages back and forth with it. Positional location sharing through something like packet radio and traffic handling. Traffic handling, what is that? Is that like I get a car, I get another car, I pass a car on? No, traffic handling is somebody's calling for help to somebody over here, but they can't hear them. You relay the message, traffic handling. You're handling the communications back and forth. So it's more than just you. The other cool thing about amateur radio, uh, specifically in this space as we talk about radios, is let's say my internet is affected. I don't have internet locally. I can still send text messages and emails provided I can hit somewhere that does have internet. So I could email your Gmail account, let's say, which obviously you access on the internet, but your internet's not affected by the hurricane that just hit the East Coast because you live in the Midwest. So you could still have access to the internet, but I don't. But I want to let you know I'm okay. As long as I can get my signal to a place that is connected to the internet, my email will find its way to you. You can also do point-to-point -point communication, so email from person A to person B without ever hitting the internet. It's called peer-to-peer -peer connection. So it's just like sending a text message from one person to another. There's no middleman. Well, in theory, there's no middleman. You can do that with radio. And then you talk about security through obscurity. How many people are listening for that? And of the people who are listening, or know to listen, how many actually are? And of the people who are, who has the capability to decode what you're sending? And then if, even if they can decode it and read it, does it make any sense to them? Is it actionable? All that kind of stuff. So radios are really good in some cases, but as we get further on, you, they might not be the best case scenario. And lastly is satellite options. The good thing about satellite, text messages and phone calls. That's it, you got two options really. Not really sending a whole lot of email traffic through that. It's just gonna be text message or phone call. Can anybody think of anything else? Any other types of communications? I can think of one right now. Pigeons. P pigeons. I didn't even think of that one, but you're absolutely right. Pigeons. Yes. 
Uh, how about just write a letter and put it in the post postal box? Right? Put a stamp on it, stick it in there. It can be done, provided there's pickup. And the infrastructure is still set up to handle it, in which case one could argue, then why are you even sending the letter? Or are you in, are you in an emergency at that point? But remember, we haven't talked about any emergency situations. We're literally just talking communications. It doesn't have to be an emergency to think about this kind of stuff. All right, so let's go through some, some pros and cons on these. Strengths and weaknesses for each. Let's start with cell phones. Good thing about cell phones, 86% of the world's population has a smartphone. And that's 81% of Americans have a smartphone. Of course, there are multiple reliable networks available. AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, whatever, other <coughs> Mint Mobile and all this kind of stuff. You've got all these things available to you. Multiple communication types available from a single device. You talk about it in the PACE plan. Hey, it can't. that one thing can't be everything, but it can do everything. Immediate notifications. Everybody's phone dings. It's just weird you get those phantom vibrations when your phone's in your pocket. You're like, oh, it buzzed. No, it didn't buzz. Immediate notifications. Uh, store and forward messages. You don't have to be at your device with it turned on looking at it to get note, uh, messages, right? There is encryption available and app availability. There's so many apps in the App Store or the Play Store that you can go and get or uh, what's the other one? F-Droid or whatever it is that you use. Downside. Communication privileges only available when granted. It's paid access. If you read the fine print of your contract and, or you watch a cell phone ad on TV, AT&T, I love this one. They have it up there. It's like um, whatever, up to 50 gigs a second or whatever they say on their ad. But then there's a little star and at the bottom it says, we could legit turn you off if the, if the network is overloaded. Well, think about where you live. Do you live in a major metropolitan area where if something happens, everybody's going to hit the same network? then you probably shouldn't rely on that being available to you. Or if a government or other law enforcement agency says, I need you to restrict access right now. Right? Think about what Snowden told us. The NSA legit sits in an AT&T office and just looks at everything. So it happens. Uh, network access is not managed by the user. So again, not only can they turn you off whenever they want, they can figure out what they want you to visit, as viewed by any totalitarian government in the world right now. You limit restrict, restrict access to certain sites. That's where VPNs come in really handy. It's like, oh, well, I might be here, but it looks like I'm in a different country. So now I have access to other websites. Uh, there is no message priority. You get in line. First come, first serve kind of thing. Battery life of a cell phone. I know we all like to think it's amazing. But the screens that are on our cell phones are very big, which takes up a lot of battery life. So yeah, you got battery saver mode. Now you're, act, now you're limited to literally phone calls and texts. Can't do multimedia messaging. Can't do position location sharing. Can't look at Google Maps. Can't do any of that. And then the need to have contact information. Do you know the phone number of the person you're trying to reach? So keep that in mind, right? You need to have the contact information of the person you're trying to reach out to. So it's one-to-one -one communication. Unless you're part of a group chat, and then it's one too many, but, but a very specific many. Cell phones are amazing tools, but they do have cons. You need to be aware of them. Computers. 62% of the world's population has access to the internet. 
That's 93% of Americans do. So let's think about this for a second. If 86% of the world's population has a smartphone, but only 62% of the world's population has access to the internet, that tells me that there are countries where people have smartphones, but don't have the towers that are linked to any internet. Right, so you've got phone calls and text messages, SMS. You might not even have MMS, multimedia. Right. Well, I was even thinking third world. You know, think of something like um, there might be places in India or the Middle East or Africa or something like that. Hell, probably even Central and South America where <clears throat> kids walking around with an iPhone 12 and he can make a phone call, but he can't access the Internet. So it's not necessarily government regulation, <clears throat> but that absolutely could play a huge part into that. So that one really blew my mind. I was like, wait a second, those numbers should be equal to or higher than. And when I was uh, telling my wife about this, her thing was, in her mind, the internet is the thing that comes out of the wall, right? It's not a thing, it's, it's a plug. So I would argue the 7% of Americans that do not have access to the internet is by choice. I would argue it's the people who have said, I'm better off without it, see you later and have moved to an extremely remote part of whatever. Now, arguably, those numbers are only going to go up as you get things like Starlink and other broadband satellite internet services, iPhone 14, something like that, maybe. I think those numbers will only continue to go up, but I, the 7%, if I had to guess, there's probably, what, 2.1 million people who have said, screw this, I'm done. And you can't even say Alaska, because Alaska is only, what, a population of 600,000, 800,000 people, right? So you, that's an entire state, but... Right. <laughs> Probably because they want it to call for help. Like, hey, it's cold. Can I get some heat? Um, network access is generally reliable for Internet, typically. Let's assume you have access to it. Uh, multiple communication types available from a single device. Like we talked about with your computer, you can do basically everything you can do with a cell phone with your computer via the internet. Uh, encryption is available. Absolutely available. Software availability, arguably more on a computer. Well, probably about the same now. But at one time, it was you had more software availability on a computer than you did on your cell phone. And it can be used with other communication hardware. So your computer is not necessarily its own communication device, it can be used with other communication devices, right? So if you've got a GPS dongle, I can plug that into my computer. That's a piece of hardware, I plug it in, and now I can use that GPS to send my location because my computer doesn't have it inherently. So there's other things that you can use with the computer. Of course, just like your cell phone, your communication privileges are only avail available when granted. You forget to pay your bill, internet gets turned off. Now you don't have access to that. It's also man not managed by you. It's managed by somebody else, which means they can turn it on and off regardless of whether or not you paid your bill as they deem fit for the network to still function in times of crisis. Uh, other devices are needed to access the internet, however. So typically your computer does not act as a modem. You need a modem or a wireless router or something. So the downside to 
using a computer to access the internet is you need something else to do it, which means you need power for that device. You need to have it reliable and set up. Battery life, I don't know about you, but laptop battery life, it's come a long way, but it's still not great. Again, it's a big screen, trying to do a lot. And uncommon chargers. So with cell phones, realistically, you've got one of two things. You either have a USB-C or a lightning cable if you have a new cell phone within the last, let's say, two years. It's USB-C or lightning cable. Maybe you're still rocking a USB micro, whatever. In a laptop, though, is it a magnetic charger? Is it a USB-C charger? Is it one of those barrel connector chargers? And if so, what size is it? Or is it some stupid, weird proprietary thing? Who knows? And then that little block so that you plug into the wall, you get to plug plugs into the wall as a little thing. That's an AC to DC converter. What does it convert it to? Does it convert it to 5 volts, 12 volts, 9 volts, 8.7 volts? What's it convert it to? So you've got all, so you can't just plug one charger into the wall and charge a bunch of different laptops. They'd all have to be the same or similar. The good thing with USB-C is it's becoming far more common amongst newer Hardware, newer laptops, cell phones, things like that. It's great. It's not there yet, though. It's close, but it's not there yet. But what if you have an old laptop? This is an older laptop. Uh, I replaced the battery in it. You know, just go on eBay, buy a new battery. 15 bucks, swap it out. It's like new. It's great, but it doesn't have USB-C charging. So I'm still stuck with an old barrel connector charger. Things to take into consideration. Radios. I love radios, if that's not obviously clear by now. A lot of good pros. All right, let's list the pros. Communication privileges are always available. It is, as long as your devices are powered and you know how to use them, you're good to go. Network access is managed by the operator. I decide when the network is up and down. Not AT&T, not Time Warner or Spectrum or whoever they are now. Multiple communication types available from a single device. Like we talked about, I can text message, I can email, I can instant message, I can do all that real-time stuff from a single device. Uh, encryption is possible depending upon your license level, your ingenuity, and your willingness to break the law. <laughs> I mean, realistically. Uh, internet access is possible out outside of the affected zone. So kind of like I just talked about, you can use radios to access internet things, other places. It's not going to be the internet you're thinking about where oh, I'm going to go on and just browse and do that. Cause it's not the same. It's different, but you can access the internet. So if somebody else, like I mentioned before, is checking their email via an internet connection, your message can still find them. And the other good thing about radios, it's one-to-many communications. I don't necessarily need to know who I'm talking to for them to hear me. Downside, 0.0003% of the world's population have radio licenses. It's a lot of zeros, and then it's a percent, so you actually have to move that decimal place twice more. That's not a lot of people, and only 0.3% of Americans have a, a ham radio license, amateur radio license. It's not a lot of people. I'll give you a different side to that coin, though, afterwards, after we get through the cons. Next con, 
Other devices are needed based on the mode of communication desired. So in other words, if I want to send an email, well, I can't type the email on the radio. I need to type the email on something else, like a computer. So I still need another device to do certain types of communication. But I can pick up the phone or the, the um, speaker mic and talk without need for any other device, right? Just need an antenna and the radio and a power source, and I'm good to go. <clears throat> there is some software familiarity that is needed. You can't just grab this computer, which, by the way, is set up for all my amateur radio stuff. You, I couldn't hand this computer and a radio and an antenna and a power source to somebody and say, send me an email. you got to know how to do it. But arguably, you couldn't... Who's rocking an iPhone tonight? I couldn't necessarily hand you my Android phone and have you send an email either because it's different. It's a different operating system. You'd have to get used to it. Windows laptop or a MacBook? You have a Windows computer at home or an Apple computer at home? Windows. Windows. So if I gave you an Apple computer and said, here you go, browse the internet, it's all going to look different. So it's no different uh, Windows to Mac or um, iPhone to Android. You've got to familiarize yourself with what you're doing. The output power limitations are based on energy availability. So yes, I'm limited to one and a half kilowatts of power. But realistically, the amount of power that I would need to put out that much power through an antenna is a lot higher. And that means it's not going to last as long. But if I dial it back and I only put out 5 watts or 10 watts of power, I won't get as far necessarily, but it'll last a lot longer. And then the need to coordinate a time and frequency to be able to talk live. So if I know who I want to talk to, <coughs> I need to make sure that they have their radio on and they're listening at the time on the frequency that we coordinated that I'm going to talk to them. So there's a little bit of cons there. Now, I'm going to give you a possible pro to the very first con in this radio section. Anybody guess what that might be? Arguably, in times of an emergency, that 0.3% of Americans might be the only 0.3% of Americans able to actually do something to help you. So while you might not reach as many people, your quality of person that you're reaching is very likely to be better. They're likely to be of a similar mindset, of a similar level of preparedness, and also in, abil in an ability to have a network of their own to possibly offer assistance. So yes, it's fewer people, a lot fewer people, but it's one to many, remember, it's not one to one, and those might be the right people. I would take one right person over 100 people who had no idea what the hell they were doing. A warm body is great to a point. Satellites. Yeah, they're fairly reliable and rugged devices. Uh, the satellite phones or satellite comms of some kind. Multiple communication devices, avail uh, types available from a single device, text or call. Immediate notifications are available, especially if you get something like a Garmin inReach or you get a sat phone that's got text messaging available. Store and forward messages are available because it is a network-based uh, system. Positional location sharing. Obviously, if you're hitting a satellite, there's got to be some sort of global positioning chip in there, right? And then emergency services requests. So on some of those devices that hikers use, 
there's one button and it. You push it and all it does is call for help. So obviously that's a pro. Con, again, you don't own the network. You don't. You got to pay for it, which means it's not yours to manage. Battery life, they don't last. They last a lot longer than they used to because battery technology has come a long way, but they're still not great. And it's expensive. These devices themselves and the monthly subscriptions are very expensive. But think about it. I mean, there's a thing orbiting the Earth that had to get there somehow, and that's not cheap. So there's a reason why it's so expensive. All right, some final thoughts. So what the hell do I do after this? Very first thing you have to do, in my personal opinion, is determine who you will want to communicate with in an emergency. Trusted people, like-minded people, and people who can actually help, just like we talked about with the radio people. Once you determine who you're going to talk to, determine what you will want to communicate. Operational security, OPSEC. You'll see that when you get into some of your own research. You're going to see OPSEC. Everybody's oh, OPSEC. Especially if you get into the real tactical guys or the people who think that they're the shit. <laughs> you're going to see OPSEC, or you're going to hear that. All that means is operational security i.e., don't tell your neighbor you're going on vacation unless they're the person that's washing your house, right? Don't blast on Facebook that you're going to be gone to Germany for a month. People are going to break into your house, right? Uh, So it should be considered. Don't share too much. And don't get long-winded. If you're there to communicate during an emergency... Don't go on a diatribe about how little Susie hurt her leg and she was only playing in the yard. You can't believe that gopher was there. You meant to take care of the, the broken glass that you knew was in the yard, but you couldn't get to it. And now here it is. And she hurt herself and you feel so bad. Get to the point. Figure it out. Right? Don't get long-winded. Define when you will attempt communications. And I don't mean necessarily which emergencies we're going to use this communication type for, but literally... Practice it. You don't know if it's going to work in all conditions. Amateur radio is a good example of this. I can potentially sit in my house here on the East Coast and talk to a guy in Australia, 9,300 miles away, point to point. Talk to him, just as if we were talking in this room. That might work on Tuesday, might not work on Wednesday. So how reliable is it? Right? you got to determine that. And the only way you can determine that is through regular practice. What does that look like? And then define where you will attempt communication. This is where that pace plan comes in. It should be based on your predetermined whatever plans, whatever those are, whether it's, hey, if something goes down, shoot me a text or give me a call. Awesome. Cell phones should be the first thing you go after anyway, right? But if it degrades from there, do they know at what point they should go to the next thing? And if they do, are they there? Are they in a position to also listen and help? So determine who you will want to communicate with, what you will want to communicate, because you don't want to communicate too much information necessarily, because there might be other people listening. Define when you will attempt those communications, obviously which emergencies and how far into the emergency and all that stuff, but also before the emergencies happen to make sure it actually works. And then where you will attempt communications. Told you it would be a quick one tonight. We can get into some questions, specifics, what-if scenarios. What do you got for me? The, uh, 
truthfully, the big thing is, who do you want to talk to, right? Who do you care about? Who can actually help you? Who, who cares about you? Who's in a position to help? That's the big one. Who, who do you want to talk to? And then from there, what forms of communication are they comfortable with? I'm a big ham guy. I love ham radio. But if the person I want to talk to isn't on ham radio, it doesn't do me any good. If I want to use Signal because I prefer more secure communications versus a text message, that's fantastic. But the, is the person that I want to text message comfortable with using Signal or Zello or Briar or whatever? Your neighborhood might have a, a WhatsApp group where all the neighbors get on and talk about how much they hate the HOA and nobody's cut those bushes and did you see what so-and-so did to their backyard? That's great. A WhatsApp group is a great way to stay informed. Are you comfortable with the privacy and security things you give up to be a part of that network? Are you okay with certain bits of information falling into hands of people you don't necessarily want to have them? All of that needs to be taken into consideration. But realistically, who do you want to talk to? What are they comfortable with that they can use? What are you going to talk about? Right? Do you do the what three words where you talk about <coughs> the chairs against the wall? Anybody get that movie reference? I think it's the chairs against the wall. Red Dawn. Red Dawn, right? Chairs against the wall, which means something. So... Do you have specific phrases that not only you know, but they know, and what the hell they mean? When are you going to attempt communications? A good, a good example of when you're going to attempt communications. Go home and look up the uh, Wilderness Protocol for communication. It's called the Wilderness Protocol, and that is a good place to start if you have no idea the when Look that one up and maybe just start there. And then lastly, where? Again, what are they comfortable using? What are you comfortable using? All that stuff.